It's Thursday, January 9th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Motley Fool One, Jason Moser. And just you, baby. Just you, you and, just you and me. We're going to have to get it done. It's uh, quaint. On this busy Thursday, which is uh, the official start of earnings season, we will uh, talk retail. Uh, we're also going to dip into the full mailbag, answer a couple of questions, and we got a, we're getting a lot of responses on the smart home voices. So we will. That's a great way to kick off the year. I mean, that's, yeah. that's, it's nice to get. I mean, you ask questions every once in a while that really sort of tap into the listener base, and that's obviously one. Yes, you know, a lot of passion about this. Hey, um, did I see a tweet earlier today from Carl Quintanilla that said the what, earnings season, like I guess uh, Alcoa is is officially going to be kind of handing handing over the the reins. Really, and I think that earnings season now officially will be marked by J.P. Morgan's earnings. Really, I, I saw a tweet. Now I'm not sure if he was just kidding. We're going to have around, to do some research. It didn't on this. seem like it was sarcastic but. because, as I've been saying this week. It's really all Alcoa has left. Well, yeah. It's no longer a Dow stock. So I feel like let's just let Alcoa continue to be the official kickoff to earnings season. But if they're going to pass the torch, then – But that was his point was now that it's no longer a Dow component, they were passing that torch on to a little bit more relevant – company out there. I don't know. We'll have to we'll have to investigate that. All right. Well, we're not going to talk about Alcoa or (laughs) J.P. Morgan. We are going to start with Bed Bath & Beyond. Third quarter earnings – I don't want to say they were much lower than expected, but they were lower than expected. The stock is really getting hit down 12%, 13% this morning. Yeah. How bad is this? Well, I, I mean, it's not good. It's not <laughs> one of those things where you say uh, yeah, they obviously had a, a, good, a good holiday season because they didn't. And I, I think that with Bed Bath & Beyond, what we've seen for the longest time with uh, companies like Linens and things going bankrupt, we felt like Bed Bath & Beyond was going to do a great job of sort of picking up that market share. And they've done a decent job with that. Uh, but, I mean, looking at the numbers, I mean, the top-line sales growth wasn't all that encouraging. Comps were just a little bit over 1%. Uh, margins were actually down, uh, which means they're, you know, they're losing a little bit on the pricing side of things. Uh, but, you know, the, the problem I've had with Bed, with Bed Bath & Beyond for a while now is that I feel like they're not really acknowledging the, the e-commerce trend that is so blatantly obvious to everyone. I mean, you know, and I, I went through I think their, the reason you feel that is because they're not. And, and I think that you're right. <laughs> <laughs> and, and to prove that, I went through the conference call actually and just did a few searches uh, for some words, you know, just some words that are kind of clues into sort of their take on e-commerce and, and mobile strategy. The, the, in the earnings call yesterday, the word e-commerce was used once. Uh, the word online was used once, and the word mobile was used three times. And so, to me, that tells me that either they're playing their cards very close to the, close to their vest, or they they just don't really have. Uh, a, a full-on, you know, e-commerce strategy out there, and, and, and I don't know that they really do. I mean, I've, I've visited their websites. I mean, it, you know, it just doesn't really. They're not really, I think, keying in on that online consumer yet. And then when you have companies like Wayfair.com out there, for example, which is still a private company, mind you, but they are, they are, they've got Bed Bath and Beyond Square uh, in their target. And, and you know, Wayfair just brought in close to a billion dollars in sales uh, last year, and, and I think that. Uh, you know, the, the elephant in the room, uh, Amazon.com, is, is going to be another one that uh, is going to continue to, you know, focus on this market as well. So I think that Bed Bath & Beyond has a really, uh, you know, a tall order in order to kind of keep this thing moving forward in the right direction. And I tell you what really disappointed me here uh, in, in, you know, this most recent quarter, they bought back about $170 million worth of shares. And they bought back those shares with the stock price basically at all-time highs. Right. So to me, that that's just a useless 
allocation of capital. And it's just really poor capital allocation, especially when you're looking at a company that really needs to be reinvesting that money, obviously, in, in something like e-commerce or something else. I don't know. But just to me, doesn't seem like a very good use of capital. Well, that's, you touch on something that Andy Cross had mentioned on the radio show last week, which is the big thing he's watching early in 2014 is capital spending. Because yeah. we did see all these companies in 2013 buying back shares, increasing dividends. Some of that is inherently good. I don't think anyone is questioning. I don't think anyone gets a boost in their dividend and gets annoyed by that. But when you see, and Bed Bath & Beyond isn't the only one who does this, when you see the mistiming of buying back shares, then it makes you question, well, wait a minute, why didn't you take $100 million and sink it into developing a significantly more robust online platform? And I think that's the question that probably most analysts would have you know on their mind after after this quarter uh, it's it's they have a healthy balance sheet with somewhere in the neighborhood of 650 million 700 million in cash no debt uh, so they have the ability you know to go out there and spend and really build this e-commerce strategy out um, it just doesn't look like they're doing it so far and you know they, they've done a good job in buying back shares at least bringing the share count down uh, but you know then you have to look at say well the, the top line growth really wasn't all that stellar and their earnings per share numbers well those are inflated a little bit when you buy back all those shares so so were there were there other uh, you know reasons for buying back those shares I mean how's management compensated are they are their bonuses pegged on earnings per share metrics and, and so those are the kinds of things you want to look for and uh, so I, yeah I, I think that bed bath and beyond certainly has this work cut out for them. Now, on the flip side, shares of Macy's up about 8% this morning. Macy's announced it's going to be laying off 2,500 employees, closing five underperforming stores. We've talked before about what a good job Macy's has done historically in managing their store footprint. So I think the closing the underperforming stores, if you're a shareholder, that's the sort of thing you want to see. But what does it say to you that What's really driving the stock for Macy's today is the fact that they're cutting costs. Well, they are cutting costs, and, and I, I think that's something we've seen a lot of over the past five years here as companies have really been managing their cost structures and figuring out ways to really uh, eke out as much profitability as they can. I will say in Macy's defense, uh, they, you know, a little bit different from, from Bed Bath & Beyond here is, is that Macy's has certainly focused more on their online strategy, their e-commerce strategy. And so while they are uh, eliminating a number of jobs, it was also clear that they will be adding positions and investing more money in that online uh, space as well. And so when you look at their comp store sales of three, better than three and a half percent to go along with some decent top line growth, and really, I think just a, a name that elicits maybe a little bit more confidence than than, um, than some other retailers. I and mean, I can see why, why Macy's shareholders today are enthused. I mentioned the event we had on Monday night. Uh, I want to mention now that the video from that event is now uh, up on our culture blog. This was our Women in Investing event. David Gardner spoke. Tom Gardner spoke. Luann Lofton, uh, a bunch of other fools uh, speaking. It was really a great night, a great event. So you can check out the video at our culture blog, which is just culture.fool.com. Also this week, we had our uh, first, uh, but I I think the first of many for years to come, uh, of our Women Investing Foolishly conference uh, for college students. And I just want to give a shout out to the young women who are here. They had a a pretty intensive three-day program. Yeah, I I know you were part of it. You were Mm -hmm. teaching one of the classes as well. We had a bunch of people teaching classes, but I just wanted to give them a shout out because it's really just... It 
it just heartens me to see young people in particular really taking an interest in investing. So I wanted to give a shout out to uh, Mabel Nunez from uh, Baruch College School of Business in New York, uh, Maya Lama from Mills College in California, Megan Herr, Columbia University in New York, Becky Gallagher, Xavier University in Ohio, uh, and I'm going to pronounce this name incorrectly, so I apologize, uh, Radna Bawakarab at Rice University in Houston, uh, Christine Harez, McDaniel College in Maryland, and last but not least, not a college student, a fifth grader named Maya Peterson from St. Paul, Minnesota. She was here with her dad, Gunner. Um, she was here for the first couple of days. Really impressive, uh, all of them. So uh, I feel like I should have brought my daughters in for that. They would have been a little bit. They would have skewed a little bit younger. But pulling I, them out of school. I, well, you know, and, and for me, that that actually would have been legit right there. I mean, if I'm pulling them out of school, really, they're still being educated, Chris, and that's the important part. But I will say that the big tip of the cap to all of these ladies who were here. Uh, the event yesterday wrapped up with a really a terrific discussion uh, on companies, competitive advantages, uh, all sorts of, of different ways of looking at investments. And just the ideas and the discussion that was kicked out in that room was just just tremendous. I mean, they all did a wonderful job. And I just I can't thank them enough for all being here. Last bit of housekeeping. Also on our culture blog, we are looking for summer interns for 2014. Deadlines. I think the deadline is the end of this month. Last, yeah, end of January. I think it's January 31st. So uh, if you're a college student or you know a college student who's interested in interning here at The Motley Fool, on the investing side, also on the tech side, we're looking for a lot of different department interns. So check it out at culture.fool.com. You can always email us. Radio at fool.com is our email address. Uh, comment from Nathaniel Johnson in reference to our recent conversation about drones. How come you guys haven't put Amazon drones and driverless cars together? Trucks loaded by robots that drive themselves, unloaded by drones, would be amazing for customers. Also, FedEx and UPS wouldn't have such a labor shortage during busy holiday seasons. I think it'll probably happen eventually. I don't think some contractor like General Dynamics or Lockheed will be building the drones. Amazon was clever enough to build its own tablet tablet and will be smart and cheap enough to build its own drones to deliver from van to doorstep. Uh, question from Dr. Wink Weinberg in Georgia, uh, who writes, I think you can time the market. Oh, really? And, and I'd like to get a fool's take on my <laughs> observations. What about that? Well, I mean, it's, that's an interesting we, statement. We're, we're pretty vocal about not trying to time the market. Right. And, and I think that it's it's very easy to just sort, sort of offer that pad advice. You can't time the market, so don't try to do it. Uh, I think it's worth elaborating a little bit, going a little bit deeper into what we're really saying with that statement. And anybody can flip a coin and get it right once in a while, right? I mean, you, you can make a call or try to time the market and get it right. I mean, there's no question there. I think our concern and our, our observation over time is that it is not a sustainable investing strategy. You cannot continue to do it consistently and well over long periods of time. And so if you're going to be placing bets essentially on you know, how you feel like you can time the market or events that may happen, you probably will win a couple, but you, you will certainly lose a lot as well. And so it's just not a long-term sustainable strategy, and, and there are just easier ways to go about doing it, and, and that's what we focus on here. And let's not confuse, because I think some people do. I'm not suggesting he is, but I think some people confuse timing the market with what we like to call taking money off the table. It's one thing Big difference. to look at a stock that's had a great run and think – 
there's a better place for my money, and then you sell some shares, maybe you sell all of those shares. That's not timing the market. No, that's just that, – that is – that is managing your portfolio. That is portfolio management. And for everybody, that threshold's a little bit different. But definitely, yeah, good to note that difference. Question from Antonio de los Heros. You guys mentioned conference calls as an addition to reviewing 10K reports. Where do you get the number for the conference calls? That's a really good nuts and bolts question. Yeah, and we're so spoiled here on the analyst team because we have so many uh, – You know, we have, we have a lot of paid subscriptions that get us access to virtually everything we need at any time. Uh, but you know, with that said, I think that uh, it is just as easy for the individual investor. Uh, it just takes a little bit of digging. And, and I'll use Starbucks as an example just because it's just an easy example. But if you go Google Starbucks Investor Relations, that will actually get you to the link that will take you to Starbucks' Investor Relations page. And on that page, you will find all sorts of of links to reports and presentations and whatnot. And and it will also have uh, links to conference calls uh, that that are going to be happening uh, and potentially conference calls that have just happened. Now, typically with an earnings call, say if we know the earnings date is going to be today, for example, and Starbucks' earnings date is not today, but, but assume that it is, then you could go on to Starbucks's investor relations page and you would see a link in there where you could you could click on that link and, and, and listen to it as a media presentation uh, in real time. And then typically what they'll do is they'll keep that conference call on there for a period of time after. It will expire and they'll remove it. Uh, but for two, uh, two weeks or so after the actual call, they'll have that on there. So you can go back and listen to it. You can rewind. You can sort of make notes and do whatever you want. And you can search around the, the internet. There are, there are sites that will offer transcripts. Uh, of certain companies, and, and that's always nice to have. Uh, but definitely count uh, depend on the investor relations page of whatever company you're following, and that will get you where you need to be. As a general rule of thumb, I find that most companies do a good job with their investor relations information on their websites. They pres- they're, they're pretty open about presenting that type of information. Also, as a general rule of thumb, I find that if you just go to any company website, and we'll just stick with Starbucks, if you go to Starbucks.com, of course, they're going to be trying to sell you coffee and all that sort of thing. But I find that most websites, the public company, you go to the main page. If you just scroll all the way to the bottom, right at the bottom, there's usually a tab for investor relations. You can yep, just click on that. That's a good point. Uh, we will wrap the week with the comments we've been getting about the smart home voice. And uh, this is just such a what's, great What started uh, off this week with Mark Reith's question to you guys about, uh, and you you wanted Darth Vader. I mean, I, I, I would go with Darth Vader. I think that would be pretty. Uh, that would be pretty cool. At the beginning of the week, when I listened to that episode of Market Fuller and I heard that, I thought, "Oh, that's a that's a fun question to kick around." Now, several days later, I'm now at the point, based on all these responses, <laughs> I now want a, a voice in my home. Yeah. I now want one of these voices. So let me just share some of the responses we've gotten from Tom Colvin, who wrote on Twitter, "I would wake up to Arlie Ermy." Who's the uh, the drill sergeant from the classic film Full Metal Jacket? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and James Earl Jones during the day, and Scarlett Johansson in the evening. Uh, Tony Perubek, apologies if I'm mispronouncing your name, Tony. He's a Rule Breakers uh, member. No one has suggested Sir Patrick Stewart. He could be telling you what to do all day. Followed with "Make it so," unless you want to go old school with William Shatner. Uh, from Benjamin Chambers, how could you pass up the opportunity to have Nina Sim- Simone narrating your life even better <laughs> if she could, would occasionally break into song? Yes, the High Priestess of Soul 
would be a great voice. Uh, from Derek Michelson in Camarillo, California, I think the worst voices, hands down, would be either Rosie Perez or Fran Drescher. <laughs> The best, I think Morgan Freeman in the morning and Scarlett Johansson in the evening. Scarlett Johansson in the evening for all you guys. I'm assuming you don't have a wife in the house that would sort of give you uh, some some some, uh, some some flack about this. I mean, that to me is – I don't think I could get away with the that. The missus but. may have a different choice. Yeah. Uh, from Mark Johnson. So two days of talking about what voice you would want in your house to sound like and the best you could do were all men. What about waking up to Salma Hayek or Isabella Rossellini? Morgan Freeman? What about Morgan Fairchild? Seriously. Uh, From Justin Russell in California. Uh, Helen Mirren all the way. I don't think I'd ever get tired of listening to her. From Eric Head in Knoxville, Tennessee. My choice would be Peggy Lee. Her voice has a soothing yet sultry aspect to it. If you don't know, she wrote the music to the Disney classic song Lady and the Tramp, but is best known for the song Fever. Uh, And finally, from Mark Ogawa. The obvious choice for voice for a smart house system would be John Hausman, if it weren't for the unfortunate situation that he is no longer counted among the breathing public. Instead, how about Douglas Rain, the voice of HAL 9000 from 2001 A Space Odyssey? Although at 85 now, his voice may not carry the steady, emotionless drone that he portrayed back in 1968. This is just, I mean, this is a tremendous response. I I can't... uh... I think... Have we ever had a response to a question like this? I mean, this you know, burgers when people when people weigh in with their burger recommendations. But yeah, the uh, peanut butter jelly thing. I, th- I think that we we had a pretty good response to that one. Yeah, time. keep them coming. Radio at fool dot com. Follow us on Twitter at Market Foolery. Jason Moser, thanks for being here, man. Thanks, buddy. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Ann Henry. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on Monday. Monday.